You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. It was almost a decade ago when the Live Midtown program was launched here in Detroit. The initiative offered subsidies for the employees of several area institutions that were aimed at increasing population at a time when the city was still really struggling to keep people here. It was an interesting experiment that launched conversations about gentrification and other social equity issues. Here to talk about the deep dive she took into the legacy of Live Midtown is Anna Clark. She is a Detroit journalist and author who took a close look at the incentive as part of a new project being spearheaded by Detour Detroit. Anna, welcome back to Detroit Today. Good morning. It's so nice to be here. Yeah. So it it, it is really uh, something for me to think about it being 10 years since we started Live Midtown. It's about nine years, actually. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like it was quite that long ago. And if you think of what has changed in Midtown over that time, it's really, really dramatic. Uh, what I like about what you're doing here is sort of trying to discern how much of that change can be assigned to these incentives, which at the time were kind of revolutionary. I mean, this idea of trying to get people to live in the city by by uh, offering them subsidies. Uh, tell us about um, tell us about what attracted you to this idea and then tell us what you found in terms of the role that these subsidies have played. Sure. Um, well, I, de- I wanted to do this story because I was simply curious. I mean, I was here throughout that before, during, and after the incentive period. I didn't, I didn't participate in the program myself, but I was always curious about what, 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 it, what its legacy was. I felt like there hadn't been a, maybe a full public kind of reckoning with the specifics of what that program was, how much money was involved, who benefited, who didn't benefit, how many people, just all of that. Um, so just to satisfy my own curiosity, I began looking into it, right? Um, and it's and, and one thing that happened is that it really took me back to 2011, which is when this uh, program launched. And um, I mean, if, if if your listeners, you know, recall, I mean, that was just quite a pivotal year. I mean, this this that we had just gotten, you know, new census mem- numbers that had shown that the po- city's population had dropped another 25 percent in just the previous 10 years, yeah. which is extraordinary. Um, we lost far more people, not just a little more, far more people than even New Orleans um, lost, uh, which had experienced Hurricane Katrina. Um, this was uh, a city that has was shrinking rapidly at an accelerating pace. And, you know, and, and of course, you know, resources, public services, quality of life, basic necessities were stretched to the absolute limit. I mean, we were, we were, you know, kind of partway through the auto bankru- bankruptcies and still a couple years away from the city's bankruptcy and experience with emergency management. It was the recession had a long tail. It was a very difficult time. And when this incentive program was announced, I, I mean, I remember, I remember like some people like really heard it as a, as a shock of, um, with a jolt of excitement, you know, mm-hmm. just something like, oh, this is something energizing. This is something interesting. This is something that um, is unique that Detroit can offer, right? Um, and it was a way of leveraging the anchor institution, specifically Wayne State, Henry Ford, and then Detroit Medical Center, as a way to try to build out a live-work neighborhood, a neighborhood where that was more dense, more walkable, where uh, professionals who worked at these uh, institutions could you know, live, live nearby. And so one of the things that I also remember from that time, of course, was 
that was one of the first times I remember there being a, a kind of robust conversation about the idea of gentrification mm. here in Detroit because we'd spent so much time with people just leaving. This idea of trying to attract people back, of course, invokes all kinds of thoughts and concerns, quite frankly, about who are you trying to attract back? Are you trying to make the city wider than it was before? Uh, so, so talk about who got these incentives and what that did to the demographics here in this part of the city. Yes, this is very interesting. I like how you get that at that right directly because I think with an incentive program, yeah, you're, somebody has a choice, right, of who they're investing in, who they who who they're um, making it possible for them to stay here. Um, with uh, Live Midtown, uh, the, about thirteen hundred people specifically received. Um, uh, subsidies because of average household size, they sort of estimate about twice that. You know, about two thousand folks benefited from this totally. Um, most of the people were um, who received the benefits were African American at thirty eight percent, with white folks at about thirty three percent. Which, right, that made me go, hmm, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> um, but at the same time, the neighborhood demographics did change, um, and uh, the neighborhood grew. Uh, Midtown grew substantially whiter. Um, its white population grew by about 80-some percent over the course of the incentive program, uh, and uh, while its African-American population dropped, actually, by a, a 2 percent, So, um, which is a really interesting thing to think about. Like, I mean, this the, the program purposefully wanted to have an influence beyond the bounds of the immediate people who received uh, uh, subsidies for their rents or mortgages, and, and I think they did. Mm. And, yeah. and so, I mean, essentially the, the split was kind of even in terms of black and white and who got the, the incentives or not. But I think there are a lot of people who would say, well, that's an imbalance because Detroit is 83, 84 percent African-American. I can't remember what the what the current number is, but, it, but overwhelmingly African-American. Yeah. They should have been, we should have been the primary beneficiaries of that program and we weren't. I think that's a very reasonable thing to put out there. And also, um, uh, just by the nature of um, working with these anchor institutions, having to ha some of the requirements to be a participant there, if you're an employee, um, it, it, for, um, for it, it effectively selected for income level, too, right? You know, like the average recipient of the subsidies um, had a salary of between like thirty to $50,000 a year, which is not humongous, but it's more than the average uh, wage for uh, for Detroiters. Um, and so I think that, um, yeah, I mean, that's just like, it, it does kind of like test what our uh, question, test our, test our ideals, I think, about how we, how we make neighborhoods, how we invest in neighborhoods, how we do, you know, provide, like inject some needed um, support when we're seeing this chronic cycle of disinvestment, but also how do we do so in a way that doesn't just replicate patterns of the past that um, were absolutely inequitable and uh, is something that I think a lot of us do not want to see in Detroit's yeah. future. Yeah. I mean, I, I still hear from a lot of people who feel really offended and maybe dismissed or pushed aside by just the name Midtown, which is not a new name here in Detroit. There was always a neighborhood called Midtown here in Detroit. It's very old, in fact. But it was expanded 
to include another neighborhood, the Cass Corridor, which, of course, had a negative connotation for many years because of the poverty that was there and some of the other kinds of activities that went on there. But the the the, the idea of having a neighborhood like that essentially swallowed up by this concept of Midtown at the same time that you're offering these subsidies for people who don't live here to come back at the same time that the neighborhood is getting more white than it was before. I mean, I think there are, there are, there are lots of things that say to people, this is about changing the face of Detroit as much as it is repopulating it. Right. And this is uh, somebody I talked to for this story, Lauren Hood, um, uh, who does a lot with development issues. Mm-hmm. I mean, put this like, you know, very clearly, like if our concern is um, vacancy, if our concern is blight, if our concern is um, depopulation, you know, there are things that we can do as a city uh, to uh, be more preventive about that, to work with folks who are here. What do you need to stay? What do you need to feel safe? What do you need to be able to invest in the property that you um, that you already have? And to be fair on that point, the Live Midtown incentives did offer some, um, some, some incentives for folks who... Um, wanted to do that, though that was about 1% of the program, and it turned out. Um, the, uh, we, the, but, the, but the idea is, like, you know, what if we brought the same level of energy and financing into uh, making it possible for this to be a home for Detroiters who have been um, – here for a long time, who have been, who've been, who've put up with quite a lot, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and 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 deserve to be invested, in, and also have some lived experience that I think is like essential to any sort of uh, neighborhood development initiative. You know, I mean, they, like people who are who, people who have been stakeholders over time, I think have a lot to offer, a lot to bring to the table about um, what structures are needed to uh, to support it, both for those who have been there for a long time and and new people. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Anna Clark, a Detroit-based journalist and author of The Poison City, Flint's Water, and the American Urban Tragedy. She also wrote recently about the Live Midtown incentives for the Detour Detroit newsletter. We're talking about those incentives which are about to turn a decade old and what effect they've had, not just on Midtown and the changes here, but what effect have they had on Detroit and the changes that we've seen over the last decade? I say all the time that Detroit is such a different place than it was not just 10 years ago, but certainly 20 or 30 years ago or when I was a child growing up here. Uh, Have the Live Midtown incentives fueled that change? Have they fueled changes that perhaps weren't intended uh, by the incentives? And have they changed the face of Detroit in a way that you have noticed? If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Tell us if you're living in Midtown or if you used to live here. Uh, What do you think about what's happened in Midtown? Uh, What do you think of the development in that part of the city and the way it feels different than it did before. If you live somewhere else in the city, tell us if you want to see maybe a similar program rolled out where you live. There are some other models like this starting to take root in parts of the city. What does that look like? Uh, And give us a call and tell us what you think of change, of the idea of change here in Detroit, and whether change means racial change. And is that the thing that we are trying to achieve? Is it one of the things that we're trying to achieve here in Detroit? Uh, Talk about the dynamics that unfold when you have racial change in communities with 
troubled histories the way we have here in Southeast Michigan. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Before we get to listeners, Anna, this story is part of a new community journalism model that's being rolled out by Detour. Tell us a little more about that. Yeah, this is genuinely exciting. And, and and not just as a reporter gets to be part of it, but just as a reader who thinks local journalism is essential to all our healthy cities. Um, but yeah, this is a detour. Uh, Detroit is doing this um, uh, venture into community-powered journalism where what they're working with um, three journalists here at the outset, um, of which I, I'm one. And what they pay us a fair wage to do a solid deep dive story into issues that uh, resonate um, here in our community. And the idea is that um, if that journalism has some you know, meaning to uh, readers, if they uh, share it, if they're inspired to subscribe to Detour's very great newsletter, um, or uh, join its join it, uh, them as a um, in its membership model, uh, then the writers receive uh, sort of bonuses for that. And um, the idea is to kind of get away from the old sort of clickbait model of doing um, especially digital journalism, um, and instead look at. Um, whether news models are um, and journalism, the actual stories we produce, are building loyalty and um, um, relationships, I mm. guess, with the community where we intend to serve. Mm. And and what's your experience been so far with that? Well, it's very new. I mean, the story just came out yesterday, <laughs> <Right>? but <laughs> but it's great, Is honestly. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, well, I, 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 especially for a story like this. I mean, I think whether folks personally were affected by the Live Midtown incentives or any of the other sort of uh, variations of the incentive program that I think that Live Midtown inspired, like the Live Downtown Mm -hmm. um, program that was actually much larger Mm -hmm. uh, than uh, the Midtown one or the um, the. Uh, home mortgage um, uh, initiative that means that's basically a subsidy program to help bridge the appraisal Mm -hmm. gap for buying homes in Detroit or whether or if you're just like a a, just a a person just living their daily life in the city watching it all go around and trying to understand it I think I really enjoy hearing what people have to say and what they're wondering about what they're curious about um, what struggles uh, they have in trying to figure out um, how to be part of the community how to stay uh, remain part of the community what's wanted what 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 signs you get about whether or not you are valued i mean when when we put stories out there like this it's not done just once it's out there i mean my, for me just as a as a writer as a citizen um i mean a major part of the experience is just listening to what comes next hearing from folks um learning from them um it's um it's exciting i love it yeah yeah uh, again 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones Let's go to Jim in Detroit. Jim, welcome to the show. Good, good morning, Stephen. Hey. Um, I just wanted to add a, a, another perspective to the discussion um, in that I believe that there's a number of people that have moved to Detroit and probably especially to the Midtown area, not because of incentives um, and not uh, for any external reason, but because they wanted to live in a multicultural environment. And I moved to Detroit 35 years ago, and I have loved living in this city, and I have uh, benefited greatly from it. Um, And uh, it wasn't, I didn't do it to benefit me. 
extrinsically anyway. I did it to benefit my psyche, if you will, the the notion that this is the kind of world I want to live in. And I think mm. I'm not the only one mm. in the city that believes that as a white male. Yeah. So, uh, Jim, I mean, 35 years is a long time to live in the neighborhood. So you've seen a lot of the change. Do you feel like the neighborhood is diverse in the same way that it was when you moved there today? Or is that part of what's changing? Um, I, I've seen many changes, some of which are beneficial and others of which I have some deep questions about. Hmm. The, um, you know, every city needs uh, commerce to function. Um, but one of the things I think the Midtown area has lost in the commercial development that's happened here is a, a sense of creative energy and creative spirit. Mm. Uh, it's become, um, uh, it's probably not the right word, but it's become more homogenized. Yeah. And it has um, a non-inner city feel to it these days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you could pluck Midtown out of the city and it could look like uh, Birmingham. And that part I don't like. Yeah. Uh, Jim, I'm, I really appreciate the call and, and your candor about uh, about your experience. Uh, Anna, th- th- I hear that from longtime Midtown residents a lot, that, that it's losing, quote-unquote, character, right? It's losing the grittiness, I suppose, that uh, a lot of people associated with the neighborhood for a long time. I yeah, and I, I I hear that too, and how you can, and especially some of that ambivalence. Like on one hand, it's you know of course great that you know streetlights are functioning better than they had in many years, and and um, I'm a big fan of those the bike paths in particular. You know, like there's there there are some concrete quality of life benefits, um, but I think that idea of um, character. I mean, I think for just speaking generally, I think a lot of times character in a neighborhood is. Um, um, generated when communities feel some ownership over it, right? Mm-hmm. It's like self-generated when they when the, when when the identity is uh, you know directly related to the to the choices that they're making and and how they choose to like it's creative. They're literally making it up as they go. And um, and what's interesting with like you know redevelopment programs, I mean, that sometimes does provide the some really essential structural support and investment that is in some ways a kind of a bit a little bit of an amends for decades of de-investment you know in the past from from certain structures but um it does um it does mean that the um like what what kind of character we're choosing is a little bit more out of the hands of the folks who are there i mean like it wasn't you know longtime residents of the neighborhood that were uh approving who got the the subsidies or defining the the terms of like who qualified it was you know the anchor institutions effectively decided that you know like employees that meet these particular standards will qualify for this benefit i mean it was kind of out of the hands of folks who are here and and it and it does have a that does have um you know, it does have an effect. It feels very abstract, but I think especially when change happens so fast, I mean, we, we see acutely what the difference is. Mm. We need to take another quick break, and when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Anna Clark. Stay with us. Stay with us on the phone. Sean in Detroit, Bernadette in Old Redford, Paul in East Detroit, Rachel in Detroit. We'll try to get to you all next as well. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.
This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined. My guest is Anna Clark, who recently wrote about the Live Midtown incentives for the Detour Detroit newsletter. We're talking about what's happened almost 10 years after those incentives. What's different in Midtown? Is it what we expect and want? for the Detroit of the future, or are there things about it that we might want to talk about and think about uh, as we go forward? As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. You can also go to WDET's Facebook page or to Twitter, hashtag us, and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Sean in Detroit. Sean, welcome to the show. Hello. Hey. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so yeah, I'm a Midtown resident and an owner of a business in Cast Corridor. Um, and you know, I, I, the change I'd like to see is a change for everybody. Um, as a business owner, obviously we want the population to grow and that's starting to happen over in Cass Corridor, but the affordability factor is definitely a problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, none of my staff live in Midtown. Mm -hmm. They all live in places like Hamtramck and Southwest, um, because they, they can't afford because they can't afford the, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. So I'm hoping that, you know, this growth that's coming and, I, and you know, there's some pretty big development, residential developments happening blocks from my business. Um, I just, I'm just hoping that some of those are affordable, you know, so that everybody can be a part of the uh, midtown growth. Mm. Yeah, Sean, I really appreciate the call and that, that perspective. Um, let's go to Rachel in Detroit. Rachel, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I, too, am a resident in the area. Um, I still call it more so Cash Corridor because when I moved down here, that's pretty much what it was. Mm -hmm. I originally chose this area because I was attending Wayne State. I'm a graduate now, but I decided to live in the area, honestly, because I found the place when I was working with Susus so many years ago. So. Mm -hmm. For 20 years, I've seen the difference. I've experienced the difference. And it's not always in the positive light. There, I think when it became Midtown, it became a brand. Mm. It became a brand where it was meant to um, attract a certain demographic. It was meant to um, make it so that this is almost a same type of area that anyone would want to live in. But the people who are here, I'm part of one of those programs, the State Midtown program. And I'm actually heading towards the last year of the assistance that I'm getting because I have been here, living here, um, working in the area, but it became incredibly too hard to afford my place. And because the property values are going up, that is pretty much the reasoning for why everything is, is starting to increase so rapidly. And it's just becoming incredibly difficult. And I always expected myself being one of the people that they wanted here. I'm a graduate. I'm a working professional. I work at a college. Um, I, I speak several languages. It's, it's sort of a thing where even though they want to improve it, they're not really improving it for everyone who's here yeah. whom they want to be part of that demographic. Right. Rachel, I really appreciate that call. Uh, your call and and that perspective, uh, Rachel, react to both uh, Sean and Rachel. Uh, yeah, Anna, the, there, yeah, that's, that's all good. <laughs> Where the um, both of them brought up really interesting perspectives. So the first one, the the man who owns a restaurant where like workers aren't living nearby. I mean, I think that's 
a really interesting reflection. I mean, the the program, part of the motivation for the program in the first place was this like live work idea, right? To kind of tamp down on, on the commuter culture that um, that had developed, mm-hmm. um, uh, especially around the anchor institutions. And and so now, as 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 prices have gone far beyond what um, even some of those. Uh, young professionals who benefited from the program at the outset could could probably afford nowadays um, without help. Um, it's I mean it, it sort of tests that that basic idea. Like is, is, is this is somebody a real estate agent mentioned this like in 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 the article. I mean is was live work just a motto for like a five year period or is this really like our mission here? Um, is it possible to live in the area where you work um, when these uh, when when rates have gone up so so much so quickly far far outpacing wages right and um and Rachel the second caller i mean she mentioned the stay midtown program this was a program that uh uh the same uh that was sort of a, a cousin right mm-hmm. um and meant to bridge some of these affordability gaps it was a program for folks to get um some rental subsidies um to so that they could help you know, remain in where they are, be able to stay in Midtown. But it was only a three-year program. It is expiring right now. Um, it only had capacity for 150 p- participants compared to the 1,300-some who participated in the uh, Live Midtown program. And, and you know, and because it's timed out and the situation's basically the same, I mean, it, people like Rachel are kind of forced to be like, well, what what do I do now? Right. I mean, like, they're, they're, I mean, it's it's structurally not always affordable to remain, even when you feel like you do have a lot to contribute to the na- to neighborhood, and especially when you've been there for literal decades. Right. I mean, yeah, twenty yeah. years, twenty five years. I mean, that that that's, that's a, a commitment, yeah. right? We don't is this a, Detroit has been losing population for so long. I mean, uh, attracting new people is great and lovely, but is this going to be a place where people can make a home for the long haul? We, for folks who have tried that, we have not always m- met m- met what they met them where they are. Yeah. You know, we haven't yeah. given them what they deserve. Yeah. Okay, Anna Clark, great to have you here. And a reminder that you can check out Anna's story about the Live Midtown incentives at DetourDetroiter.com. Come back on Monday and we're going to take a look at the DIA millage and we're also going to sit down with a panel of Detroiters to talk about their priorities ahead of going to vote on Tuesday. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your home of music, news and conversation. We'll talk again next week.